baseball fans. It's time to take a trip from coast to coast across Major League Baseball. There it goes, a long drive. If it stays fair, home run. One strike away. Sandy into his windup. Here's the pitch. Swung out and missed a perfect game. Fly ball deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes, yes, yes. The Atlanta Braves have given you a championship. Listen to this crowd. Braves and baseball talk straight from the diamond. Here's Grant McCauley and Nick Green. Hello again and welcome to From the Diamond. I am Grant McCauley, joined as always by Nick Green for our weekly chat about the Braves and the rest of Major League Baseball as we do each and every week here on From the Diamond. We are counting down those days to opening day. It is less than a week now. This podcast coming to you on a Saturday morning. The Braves will be back at SunTrust Park to start the week as they play a couple of exhibition games against the Reds and they'll open up the regular season on Thursday, March the 28th and we got a lot of things to talk about as we wind towards opening day and nick i don't know about you but we've been talking about this countdown we've been talking about you know getting back to baseball being able to watch baseball again seems like it was just yesterday i know spring training can get a little bit lengthy and it's not exactly the most fun or highest form of entertainment when it comes to baseball but the good stuff is right around the corner yes it is i'm excited also for uh the last game of spring training tomorrow seeing the new park i think everybody's excited about that but these guys are pumped. They're ready to go. They're ready to get out of spring training. And even though the season doesn't start till Thursday, you still look at the exhibition games, and it's it's a relief to be out of Orlando. Yes. And everybody's excited to be away from Orlando and start anew. It's funny, too. Uh, Dave O'Brien tweeting that the elevator got stuck at Champion Stadium in the final night game that they're going to play there. Of course, they've got the one more game on Saturday in Orlando. Then, as Nick mentioned, They'll be opening up Cool Today Park, and that will happen on Sunday with an exhibition against the Rays. And, of course, the Braves will move into that Northport facility beginning in 2020, and that's where they'll play all of their Grapefruit League games, at least their home games as far as that's concerned. But be that as it may, I don't think too many people are going to miss Champion Stadium. About 20 years ago, I think it was state-of-the-art. 20 years later, I don't think they really did a lot to change things up. But the new ballpark, I know Fox Sports South was able to send a camera crew out there and take a little look around, and they posted some videos on their Twitter feed, which we can get that little bird's-eye view before their sneak preview, if you want to call it that, before they open it up on Sunday. Nick, did you get the chance to look at any of that? Particularly, did you get the chance to look at that clubhouse that the Braves will have at their new spring training home? Because it is miles away from what they're dealing with in Disney. I actually did, and it looked like a, a big league clubhouse and a big league stadium. Yeah, It didn't look like a spring training facility. But what'd you expect? I mean, I, I think that's kind of what I expected. Uh, these new facilities are unbelievable. Disney was cool 20 years ago, but Disney's not cool anymore. When I was there, I loved Disney. I thought it was the greatest thing ever, but it's so outdated. And to see this new facility and what they put into it and how nice it is, I think it's kind of a breath of fresh air for the players. And they're able to go in there and kind of feel like they're at a big league park. To me, when you're building a new spring training facility, that's what you want, and that's what you need, and that's what they're going to get. No doubt about it. I think it's going to be a lot of fun to check that out. And Disney, it definitely uh, served its purpose. It was an interesting chapter as far as spring training baseball is concerned 
for the Atlanta Braves, but I think they will be happy to get away from that Disney traffic and get themselves over to a park and a place that is specifically all about baseball and all about the Atlanta Braves. Of course, this podcast is largely about the Atlanta Braves, but it is certainly all about baseball. You can subscribe to it. iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Just search for From the Diamond. Leave us a rating and a review. Those have been pouring in. We appreciate those. And be sure to follow us on social media. Twitter is the place at from the diamond underscore. It's where you can follow the show. I am at Grant McCauley and Nick is at Nick Green 20 from the diamond.com. You can find everything there, including every episode of this here podcast, as well as some additional articles and content and things. I've got some stuff in the works, been trying to get all of that cranked up and get ready as opening day is again, right around the corner. So there'll be a lot of things to talk about. And of course, we're going to dive into some of your fan questions in this episode as well. And I'm going to get the overflow fan questions in an article that I'll post again from the diamond.com is where you can find that. We'll get to the questions in just a little bit, but Atlanta Braves news and rumors is how we typically start this show. Lots of things are going on, particularly with this pitching staff. We touched on this last week, Nick. Brian Snitker, though, made it official this week. Both A.J. Mentor and Darren O'Day are going to start the season on the injured list. Sounds like Mentor, at least according to Alex Anthopoulos, when he joined Chip and Jeff on the game broadcast on Friday night, said that Mentor is throwing and they're hoping to have him back in action sooner than later. But the Braves are going to have to rely on, I think, some of these young arms to fill these roles, both in the rotation and in the bullpen, And from the comments that have been made by Alex Antopoulos this week, it sounds like they're more than okay with giving these young guys some opportunities to really step up. Well, somebody's going to have to step up. And when you deal with these types of injuries, it opens a door for a lot of young guys. And as a young guy, that's what you're looking for. You're looking for the door to open. Uh, A lot of times they get frustrated because the door hasn't opened. Well, now here's the time. When you have that opportunity in the big leagues, you want to make the best of it. Different guys are going to get different shots uh, as far as going from the bullpen to the rotation. They could bounce back and forth between AAA and the big leagues. Whatever the case is, there are opportunities. And they're going to have to step up too because this team is expected to contend for a title. And if you're expected to contend, you have to have more than 25 guys contribute. And that's why the depth is so important. And how important is it for young guys to contribute not only for their own sake, but for the sake of the team. And when you look at big league baseball teams, they're out there to win. These guys want to win. You want to take your 25 best guys at the time and take them north. That's what the Braves are planning on doing. So I just love the fact that they aren't afraid to put those guys out there. If you look back two years ago, I think the Braves and maybe some other teams too Mm -hmm. would have been a little bit more hesitant to send young guys out um, and and rely heavily on them. Well, the Braves don't really have a choice. And we saw young guys play last year, perform, and that kind of allows us to to get the expectations up a little bit. Maybe there might be some learning curves, and I think there are going to be at times. But at the same time, we trust these guys. The staff trusts these guys. And when when they say, you're coming up north with us, you're part of the 25-man roster, it's going to be for real. And these guys are going to have to contribute. It's not development at the big league level. This team's contending, and they have to perform. They definitely do, and they're going to have to count on these young guys to do some of the things that they've been showing us in flashes that they can do. I mean, we're talking about these guys like Tuki Toussaint, Kyle Wright, Max Freed, of course, Mike Soroka, if he can get healthy, Luis Gahara, if he can get healthy. These are all some names. Bryce Wilson we saw briefly last year. Opportunity is going to be there in both rotation and in the bullpen. And there may be a couple of names 
that you might not have been as familiar with when it comes to some of these Braves' top prospects. In particular, Wes Parsons pitched again on Friday night. Five more strikeouts for him. All he's done is just go out there and continue to keep teams off the board. And I think that if Alex Anthopoulos is looking at this from that aspect of we're going to take our best guys up there, we're going to give guys who can throw strikes opportunities, Wes Parsons putting himself in position to help the big league club in some way, shape, or form. And, of course, all this could be contingent on a number of different roster moves that the Braves could make. And, of course, those dominoes can begin falling in this final three or four games of spring training that teams are going to realize, hey, this guy's just not going to be able to crack our 25-man roster. This veteran player might have an opt-out, so he'll have the opportunity to go out and seek work elsewhere and see if he can find a better opportunities. Different guys will be shopped, obviously, that can be traded as well. So there'll be a lot of action, I think, as far as the waiver wire is concerned or, well, the uh, the overall transaction board across all 30 teams as they try to get down to 25 men. Braves, I think, will be involved in that in some way, shape, or form. Making some roster moves this week along those lines, the Braves signed veteran right-hander Josh Tomlin to a minor league contract to close out the week. It's a depth signing, but there could be another one or two of these again before the opening day roster is announced. So Sam Freeman was released by the Braves. That ends his tenure in Atlanta. Sam was great a couple of years ago, really struggled in 2018, but a really good dude. So hopefully he's going to find an opportunity to catch on somewhere and get himself back to being a, a big league contributor in somebody's bullpen. But those are the kind of things that are going on at this particular time as teams try to get themselves down to that 25 men. Braves optioned out Rafi Lopez, the catcher, and I think that took them down to 37 men remaining in camp. So there's some obvious ones that are going to go to the minor leagues and begin their time there. There's some obvious non-roster invitees that are going to end up in the minor leagues. The roster picture for the Braves looks pretty clear, barring a number of different moves that could happen if something you know jumps out and Alex Antopoulos is able to find a fit and maybe add a couple of players. And you saw him do this last spring as well, of course, as he brought over Anibal Sanchez with about, what, a week or two to go in spring training. Uh, Ryan Flaherty, Peter Borges, just those kind of moves. They may not be the most exciting in the world, but then again, in the case of Sanchez, that seemed to turn out to be a pretty valuable signing in the end. And who knows, maybe Alex Anthopoulos will have another one of those up his sleeve. You hope so. And and you hope Josh Tomlin has something left. He's 34 years old, didn't have a great year uh, last year or the year before. Went to driveline baseball this offseason. And if anybody knows about anything about driveline baseball, it's, it's all about data analytics and yeah. how you can use that to make yourself a better player, pitcher or position player. He said his first couple of bullpens, he was 86 to 89, which is much better at that stage than he was the previous three or four years. Using his legs better, mixing his pitches up different. He's a four-pitch guy, fastball, cutter, curveball, and change. Wants to try to even out the pitches versus throwing majority fastball cutter and then using the other pitches the other 25% of the time each or whatever. Hopefully going there, learning this data, learning how to get back into his legs, getting his flaws and delivery fixed is something that can all of a sudden give him that opportunity to get over that hump right. and get back to where he's a really good pitcher. And if he does and he can, although he didn't have a great spring training, but he only threw 15 innings, is that enough time to kind of figure it out? I don't know. But if he can get back to what he was, uh, I think he could be very valuable for the Braves. Whether he's going to be Anibal Sanchez or not, I don't know. But he could still be very useful. He's a strike thrower, yep. able to mix his pitches up. He's the contact guy, doesn't strike out a ton of hitters, but it doesn't matter. As long as you get guys out, it doesn't matter. So maybe it's not the the most exciting signing, 
Um, but it could be a very useful signing. And I think that when you look at Anthopolis, especially hearing what he said on the broadcast on Friday night, um, I don't think they're done. I, I think they're going to make some sort of moves here uh, the last few days of spring training. And I think there's going to be one, maybe two guys on the roster opening day that were not, that are not in spring training right now. Yeah, I, I think that's highly possible. And it, it would appear to be that monitoring the markets, I think, would probably be the terms that the Braves would put on what they've been doing throughout the winter. And whether that's the trade market, whether that's the free agent market, there hasn't been a ton of movement, quite obviously. And I think a lot of folks look at the bullpen and think, well, if this was a problem last year, why didn't he go out and sign a couple of veteran guys? And I don't know what the answers to those were. In terms of like the higher-end guys, you know, I can understand that they didn't want to go out and give four or five or six years or whatever it may take to sign some of the higher-ceiling relievers, though it certainly would have appeared to fit a need. But the Braves will have an opportunity at some point, whether it's between now and opening day, or some point closer to the deadline if they feel like they're able to contend and they've got enough fresh arms and they've got enough talent to get them there, then they'll have that opportunity to add at that point as well. To go circle back to Josh Tomlin real quick, and you were talking about how much of a strike thrower he is, and I certainly don't want to turn this into the Josh Tomlin podcast per se, but <laughs> twice in his career, fewest walks per nine innings in the American League. He did it in 2011 in his first full season, and he did it again in 2016. Like you said, Tomlin's in his you know, early to middle thirties now. So he kind of is who he is, but going into the off season, making some improvements, if he is able to be just a consistent strike thrower, it's not necessarily a bad thing to have a guy like that in your system, whether he's kind of waiting around in triple A Gwinnett to get that opportunity, or if he's able to crack the big league staff and, you know, chip in in some way, shape or form throughout the year, majority of his career, he has been a starter, but last year lost his rotation spot in a very talented Indians rotation. So that's not altogether surprising, but this is a guy who doesn't walk very many hitters, and that, of course, is something the Braves, I think, have really prided themselves on this spring, is being able to go out there, attack, get strike one. You hear Brian McCann talk about it, Rick Kranitz talking about it, both of them on the broadcast on Friday night were talking about the importance of getting out in front of hitters and how the Braves want to have that philosophy, whether you're in the rotation, whether you're in the bullpen, whatever the case is, the results dramatically shift in your favor when you're working ahead in the count. And I heard Rick Kranitz tell Chip and Jeff tonight, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure that out. However, there was a lot of times last year where you could look at the fact that the Braves and their pitching staff in particular working too many deep counts, working behind in the count, and ended up losing hitters or getting hurt in counts that were favoring those hitters. And obviously, that can cost you some baseball games. So it'll be interesting to see where Tomlin fits in. Don't expect that to be a major storyline as we head into the season, but depth is important for each and every club, including the Atlanta Braves as well. Other interesting things that are happening in camp as we wind towards opening day, Julio Tehran, his final spring tune-up, it came against the Tigers on Friday night. A couple of runs early, then he really settled in, and Julio's put himself in position to, at least it looks like, head into the season, I think a little bit better adjusted than he was a year ago. The walks are way down. He's been throwing strikes, and I think that this is the kind of Julio Tehran that the Braves need to see as they have tabbed him their opening day starter that makes six consecutive opening day starts. Of course, this one with Mike fulton on the disabled list, not altogether surprising. But, Nick, what do you make of the spring for Julio Tehran? Uh, Friday night is the first time that I saw him actually throw with my own eyes. And obviously, when you look at him, you notice that he gained some weight. He gained 10 pounds in the offseason. The gun wasn't working, or they didn't show it, so no, I don't know how hard wrong. he was throwing. But it just looked like the ball was coming out better. One thing that I did notice, too, was he was trying to control the outside corner to righties, which is very important for him. If he's not going to have 
high end velocity, he's got to stay away from the middle of the plate. If he's leaking back over to the middle of the plate, that's when he gets hurt. And mm-hmm. a lot of times last year, we saw him work two seamer, two seamer, two seamer. Well, his two seamer wasn't really sinking, it was kind of running back over the middle. And he would try to hit back door to a righty with a two seamer and it runs back over the plate. What I saw Friday night was the fact he's using the four seamer a lot, trying to pound away, 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 then using the two seamer almost as a, an off speed pitch getting really good movement on it, um, and then gets guys hit the top of the baseball because they're expecting a four-seamer. The slider looked pretty good, um, and he threw a couple of good change-ups too. So I actually was was pretty impressed with what I saw. Uh, the results aren't always the best for him, but if he's feeling good and, he, and he, the ball's coming out of his hand well mm-hmm. um, and he's confident in what he's doing, he can still be a really good pitcher. And I'm not saying he's going to be a number one or number two st- starter. That's not really who Tehran is, but that that's okay too because you have to have five guys to fill out a rotation. And Tehran, the way he's thrown this spring training, I think he deserves to be one of those five starters. And should he be the opening day starter? He wouldn't be if Fulte was here, but he is, and so we have to embrace that. And I, I feel like Julio's – if anybody's going to take that start, Julio's probably the guy that can handle it. Um, obviously, he's made five straight opening day starts – and he knows what to expect. But I, I was just really encouraged by the fact that the ball was coming out of his hand better. Um, he was working four seamers away, staying out of the middle of the plate for the most part. Uh, I like the movement on a two-seamer. The slider, if he gets on top of it, is pretty good. And that's what they've been saying. His slider's a lot better. But everything seemed more crisp. And that's what I was hoping I was going to see from Tehran. And that's what I saw. Yeah, he's certainly thrown a pretty good spring training from start to end. I mean, I know he didn't go out and throw a lot early on. He was working, I think, to make these adjustments from what he knew and what he has basically said talking to media throughout spring training. He was disappointed with last year as well. And Nick, as you mentioned, he put on a little bit of weight. He also went off and kind of cleared his head, took a trip, you know, went overseas and was able to get himself, I think, a little bit uh, away from the game, which I think is important throughout the winter at some point to maybe take a step back enjoy some family, enjoy some time away, and then get back to work. And Julio was able to do that. And there's a great piece on that, David O'Brien of The Athletic, about what Julio Tehran's winner was like. I would certainly recommend that you subscribe and take a look at that if you haven't already. There's a lot of great content that comes out on there. But it's not just Tehran that you look at and you wonder, what is his place going to be throughout the season? You didn't want to wonder about Mike fulton but this elbow thing obviously has put him behind I think that it's trending that he'll be back at some point before April is over, maybe middle to late April, maybe seven to 10 days to go. I I think in the month might be the kind of that sweet spot or that best case scenario. But you're also looking at Kevin Gosman wanting to make sure that he gets himself ramped up. Pitch count, I think it's going to be the big thing right now so that he's ready to make a start and throw 90 pitches. That's about the number they want to get him to. He threw to some minor league hitters a few days ago. Uh, Alex Antopoulos said those results were pretty good. And now I think it's just figuring out where he slots in that rotation and when exactly he makes that start. But from all accounts, it would appear that the shoulder soreness that slowed him down at the start of the spring is no longer a concern. And that has to be some good news for the Braves because they need good news on the injury front, most certainly, because you don't want to lose another starter that's got a lot of big league experience and has a chance to help your club every fifth day. I like Gosman. I'm hoping that he's healthy. I hope that they don't rush him into that rotation. They could actually skip him first turn of the rotation if Mm -hmm. they want to. Um, that is an option with the off days, but it doesn't, I don't know where they're going to slot him in. I've heard the second game of the season. Um, he could go opening day at home 
if they want him to go open at home too. But they need him healthy, and they need him healthy for the entire year. Uh, I, I liked what I saw from him last year. He's one of the few veterans on that staff right now, and I think it's important to get him healthy and get him out there. Uh, Fulton Evans is supposed to be back, what, the third week of the season maybe, something like that Yeah, is where they're expecting him to be. I, I'm excited for this, the young guys for sure going in the rotation, but you still have to have the veteran guys. You, you've got to have Gosman. You've got to have Teron better, and you've got to have Fulton Evans. You need that stability. Um, you have to. There, and, and that's the great part about this this uh, club is they have so many guys that can't fill those roles. And that's what you want to see out of your farm system. And the Braves have that. They're not afraid. And we talked about this just at the beginning of the show. They're not afraid to let those young guys go out there and perform. They're going to have to perform. They can't afford to be the 2005 devil rays that I was played with where you have four guys in the rotation should be in triple a because it didn't matter. We weren't going to win anyway. Uh, You can't afford that. But um, but these guys are gonna have to perform, and you have to have those veteran guys. You got to have Gosman healthy. You've got to have Teron better, as I said, and you've got to have Fulty. You most definitely need those guys to step in and do the things that they were capable of doing that they've shown as far as track record is concerned. If you look at Julio Tehran, of course, Mike Fultonevich with a breakout season, Kevin Gosman last year when he came over to Atlanta, pitched extremely well, and those are all guys who are going to be factors in this rotation. And then you look outside of that, and let's jump into our Q and A. Uh, asked for your questions on Twitter and got quite a few ones that had to do with this rotation that I want to highlight in particular. And one name that keeps coming up as we talk about young guys trying to make that impression, and we've talked about him on this show, is Kyle Wright. Question from Skyler. Kyle Wright, pretty much in the rotation now. I would say yes. I mean, I know he had a bad one against the Rays the other day, but uh, from the folks I talked to, it sounded more like he got into a little bit of trouble in the first inning that wasn't necessarily all his doing. And you're going to have these every now and again. And from what I could tell, he didn't seem phased by it whatsoever. And I think Kyle Wright has not only the stuff, but also the makeup and the composure to really step up and be a contributor at the back end of the Braves rotation. I think he's in there. What do you think? I agree. And he should be. I think his stuff's so good. Um, he's a guy that that deserves that shot. I don't know if he's going to be that on that yo-yo, and I think he's going to be. Uh, but I don't know for sure oh, because the of the shuttle. innings. So they got to limit innings. Uh, but what he's shown this spring training, he deserves the spot in the rotation. The, the start against the Rays wasn't ideal, especially late in spring training. Wish that would happen early on. But he's still, to me, he's a guy that has such great stuff. Uh, he has such great poise. He, he knows who he is as a pitcher. He's confident. If this was a guy that was in high school last year, the year before, then I would worry about him. But he wasn't. He was at Vanderbilt. And I just love watching him go out there and pitch. I saw him pitch against the Yankees. I think it was a couple starts back. And the way he was throwing, commanding the outside corner, uh, throwing his pitches with conviction, he's in that rotation, no doubt about it. Does Sean Newcomb deserve a guaranteed spot in rotation? Hard to imagine. He learns to get his walks under control at this point in his career, and his good first half in 2018 was fueled by luck. That, of course, is some editorializing, I guess. I mean, the first half was very good. The second half was not as good, but I think Sean Newcomb's stuff has never been in question. It's always been the command. I know Sean knows this. I know the Braves are well aware of this. I know that he's shown at times what he can be when he's on, but to me, it's all about consistency. But as currently comprised, I don't really see a way Sean Newcomb gets bumped out of rotation Unless for some reason these walks, and there have been a lot of them, his last 12 innings, he's walked 12 batters. If those follow him into the regular season and he's not able to consistently go to the post and give the Braves five, six, seven innings, 
then I think you have to wonder about where Sean Newcomb fits in a rotation. But heading toward opening day to get the season started, I don't think there's really a question about his spot in the rotation, at least at this point. I think he's in the rotation to start out the season. I think the leash is going to be short. I don't love what I saw just from the peripherals in spring training. I didn't see him throw, and that's that's part of the problem. That's why I'm afraid to really truly answer that question. Yeah, um, I just look at the numbers, and I see the 15 walks in the 17 innings, only nine strikeouts. I don't like it. Uh, the ERA is 5.29. I don't really know what was going on in spring training. It's not encouraging, I'll tell you that. Uh, Tehran's encouraging. Tehran's walk total in spring training is very encouraging. Sean Newcomb does not. Does Sean Newcomb deserve a spot in the rotation? I think he does based on last year, but I think the leash is going to be short, especially uh, knowing that they have so many guys that can fill that spot. Any chance the lack of free agency moves made are because Alex Anthopoulos and management truly believe in this team as is and want to use that money at the trade deadline to put us over the edge? That comes from Zach on Twitter. I'll let you go ahead and take it, and then I'll follow up. <laughs> I, I think that they're they're playing it smart. You can't just sign guys just to sign guys. And I, I've talked to, I've talked to numerous people about this. I actually like the approach they're taking. They believe in their young guys. They believe in their roster, and they expect guys to continue to improve. I think that's how you have to look at it. these guys are young. If they take a step forward, there's no problem with the roster. And I think that's kind of where they're looking at. And also the fact that they don't want to sign some of these deals that these free agents want. Yeah. Andrew McCutcheon. I always look back at Andrew McCutcheon and I love this quote about why did he sign in Philly? And he said, did you see the, the amount of money they offered me? And that to me, that, that was, that contract was way too much for Andrew McCutcheon. Love Andrew McCutcheon. Think he's a great player. Too much money. The Braves, if they overpaid in a guy, didn't perform, then everyone's going to be mad because they overpaid for a guy. They got the wrong guy. And I think Anthopolis is kind of figuring out who best fits with this club and what best fits as far as money is concerned. He's not afraid to spend the money. He said on Friday night, if it's a short-term deal, he can go high annual average annual value and it's no problem. But that, that situation just hasn't come up. And I think he's playing it right. I think he's playing it smart. Um, he does believe in his roster, absolutely. But I, I'm not sure that it's because they didn't try. They're trying. So give him some credit. I think they're going to make some moves. I think they're going to make the team better, and they want to make the team better. Uh, but they do want to have that money to add a deadline as well. I predict the Atlanta Braves in 2019 are going to make several transactions before game 162. That is my prediction as of right now as we sit less than a week away from opening day. All of the transactions did not happen over the winter, though, and I think that makes people nervous. I think that's one thing that I've really picked up on is that it's counting a lot on some guys who maybe don't have that track record when you start talking about all of these young players. On the flip side of that coin, there's a group of people that says, well, why are we going to go waste money on XYZ pitcher when we've got all these great young pitchers? Then there's another contingent, and the coin begins to have more than two sides, that wants to know when are we going to trade all of these young prospects and some of these pitchers to get the other things that you need. And, and my response to this has always been kind of static. It's been the same. Is It doesn't all have to happen at one time. It doesn't all have to happen over one winter. But the Braves have some decisions to make. And I think the last thing you want to do with great young talent is sell too soon and watch them go be a star for somebody else, especially if that deal doesn't work out. And 
I guess you can get that paralysis by analysis. I think that's the phrase that kind of goes around when it comes to just thinking and thinking and thinking about it and just kind of dwelling on it, but nothing really happening and you're not going anywhere. I think a little bit of that may have set in. And, and people just want to know and want to see the club going out and doing some things that they can you know, lay eyes on and say, well, that was a move to improve our club. I think Donaldson and McCann were certainly moves like that. Bringing back Marquecas is perfectly fine. It's serviceable. Could they have done some other things? Quite possibly. But, Nick, as you pointed out, you know, some of these deals that other players were getting, not only Andrew McCutcheon, but also I think Michael Brantley is a guy to look at to say, hey, the Astros were able to give him more money than perhaps the Braves or any other club was willing to give him. And he jumped at that opportunity, and that's kind of how that plays out. Did you want to trade too many prospects to Seattle for Mitch Hanniger? I don't know. Some people might want to do that. Would you love to have Mitch Hanniger? Absolutely. But it just becomes, you know, what is the price? What is the market? And what are you comfortable with if you're the Braves and you've got to part with some of these young players? So a lot of different things I think are at play here, but they're going to make trades. They're going to sign some players. Whether or not it happened all this winter, whether or not it happens some in the coming winters, I would expect that some bigger moves are in the offing because you know that with a great young core and with a window to compete, and with a star in the making like Ronald Acuna, with a star already made in Freddie Freeman, there are going to be some different moves to add to this young core and some of these great players that the Braves have produced through their farm system and some of these young pitchers they hope can become great players. There's a lot of optimism around this club, but I can understand that this does have its skeptics just based on the fact that the Braves were not the most active club in the National League East over the winter. That being said, there's a lot of talent in-house, so long story short, I think that the trade deadline could be that time that we finally see those bigger moves materialize for the Braves. They just need to make sure by playing the best baseball that they can to get there that they've done everything they can to be in a position to contend and then obviously be in a position to buy. Do you see Nick Markakis as our everyday right fielder or do you see a rotation between him and possibly Camargo? I assume he means a platoon. Nick, I don't really see a platoon in right field. What do you make on that? I think you're going to see Marquegas play the majority of the time. He's not playing 162, and I don't think that would be a wise idea. He understands that. I think that you're going to see him probably in that 140 range, somewhere in there. I think that'd be good for everybody because that would allow somebody else to play some of those spots. I think you're going to see Camargo play some outfield. I don't know. It's hard to say, too, because I haven't seen Nukem throw in spring training. I haven't seen Camargo play the outfield, although I know he made an error the other day. Moving to the outfield is not quite as easy as people might think. Yeah, And I know he's a good athlete. I know he could probably do it. But at the same time, and we talked about Austin Riley doing this, you're going to need some practice. You're going to need some game action and game balls. You can get out there in spring training and play 10 games and get two balls. That's just how it works in spring training. I was in the outfield on the back end of games in Baltimore in spring training in 2011, almost every single game, I think I played like five games in the infield and I barely got any balls. So that really didn't show anybody that I could possibly play the outfield on a consistent basis. Um, I don't think they're going to be afraid to put him out there. I think you might see him in left and right because I think you're going to see Enciarte uh, have some days off against lefties as well, uh, where Camargo could slide in or, Culverson or whoever could slide in. Uh, but Marquecas swung the bat well against lefties last year. Uh, 284, I think, is really solid against mm-hmm. lefties. Um, and so I don't see that platoon. Um, I, I see I see Camargo getting some action out there, but not, not consistent action. 
I see Camargo in the infield a lot more than I think we're going to see him in the outfield. But could it happen once every you know, week or two? Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't put that out of the realm of possibility or late in the game if you want to make a double switch or you know make some or kind of change like that. After a night game, something yeah, like that. Absolutely. I mean, I think there'll be times for it, but I also think that for the strength of the player and for putting guys in a position to succeed, Johan Camargo is a guy that can play all of those infield positions. We've seen him a little bit at first base even this spring as well. So I think that's going to be more of what he's tasked to do. And like you said, Charlie Culberson seems like more of a candidate to end up in the outfield if the Braves need to do that uh, when it comes to putting somebody a little bit more out of position, but in a position that they can still play, if that makes, <laughs> if that makes sense. That question was from Philip on Twitter. He's got one more. If Mike Fultonevich misses the entire month of April and young guys step up, do you see a shakeup in the starting rotation with Tehran or Newcomb moving to the bullpen? That's an interesting question. I don't necessarily see either Tehran nor Newcomb moving to the bullpen. What about you? I don't either. If I had to guess if something were to happen there, and just as I mentioned earlier, I think Newcomb's going to be on a short leash. I, I think you'd see Newcomb get sent down before he went to the bullpen. Right, I agree. Uh, and, and I don't see Tehran out of the bullpen at all. I just don't see it. Who knows what's going to happen? I don't know. Uh, but we'll see. And, and I think they're they're more okay with putting like a Bryce Wilson in the bullpen. Um, and you could you could always do the up and down guy. You could always fill in that role. And, and they they want to go six starters. You could go five, or you could keep a guy in the bullpen. Um, but I, I think that if you talk about Tehran or Newcomb as far as going to the bullpen, I don't think either one of those are going to the bullpen. And if you look at Nukem, I think he's going to be on a short leash to start the year. Yeah, I agree with that. And and another thing I look at is, and Brian Snitker has been saying this for the last couple of years, it used to be pretty common practice to bring up a young pitcher, a starting pitcher in the minors, and have him get some innings and experience and get his feet wet in the bullpen at the big league level. Again, you want to put these guys in position to succeed, but from reading the tea leaves or reading between the lines or whatever cliche you want to use for it, it sounds like Alex Anthopoulos is a little bit more bullish on some of these guys being able to contribute to the club and make that move you know, to the bullpen and go out there as long as they can throw strikes and be contributors because the stuff is going to play up and they'll be able to get out. So it'll be intriguing to find out which guys get tapped for bullpen duty, which guys are going to get some of these starts that are going to be floating out there throughout the season. I, I know the Braves are never going to say, hey, it's a six-man rotation, but we saw what they did a year ago. We saw the success they had with it. Some things are going to change in the future with how you can you know, bring guys up and down from the minor leagues. But for 2019, the Braves still have that option of sending guys out and bringing guys up and you know, then bringing them back you know, before too long after that. But that it will change in the future. But I think that that was something that really helped out, especially when you looked at Sean Newcomb getting that extra day's rest. You don't want to throw everybody's schedule off, but I think there's going to be times throughout the year where the Braves are going to be more or less running with six starting pitchers, if not seven, depending on who's getting the call and when, who's going back to AAA. And then, of course, maybe some of these guys just don't make that start. They're available in the bullpen. They can give you some quality innings there. And the Braves certainly have no shortage of arms that could do that. Uh, one more question from Twitter comes from Tallahassee Brave. Why are most folks so high on Ozzie Albies when his second half was not good offensively? One of the reasons is because he's young, he's talented. He brings so much to the table. Those are good if reasons. If you look at his second half, his second half wasn't good because he didn't swing the bat well left-handed. Can he possibly make that adjustment? I think he can. The reason I say that is because I saw him do it his two years ago. I saw him make an adjustment left-handed. Whether he wants to or not, he's going to have to. He hasn't swung the bat well from the left side in spring training. 
Um, but what all he brings to the table, you have to be high on this kid. He's only 22 years old. When, when, you, when you look at some of the other numbers, I mean, I would take these numbers all day long. They would have been a great career for me. The 24 home runs, which I know the second half, and we talked about the second half, wasn't great. But you don't hit 20 home runs in the first half by accident because you're not good. Ozzy is, is so talented. He brings so much energy to the club. He's fun to watch. And I know that adjustment's in there inside him. Um, I want to see him make that adjustment. I think that's what the Braves see as well. Could you imagine if, if you traded low on Ozzy right now yeah. because he had a bad second half, and then he goes out and figures it out in two years, and he's an all-star every single year because that's the, that's the type of talent that he has. Um, I, I'm not willing to completely do that right now unless I would, I would possibly trade Ozzy Albies uh, for a number one starter. He, I could package him with that, but I couldn't do anything else. I couldn't sell low on Ozzy Albies right now. So it had to be something uh, that I was seriously excited about that we were going to get control of for quite some time. But I'm high on him too. I, I, I know he's got to make the adjustment, but I just feel like he's capable of making that adjustment. Yeah, and I'm not suggesting any kind of trade, and I don't know if that question was related to that, but or just more about a healthy skepticism, if you will, from a guy who, I mean, we had that question about Sean Newcomb. I mean, his first half was obviously fueled by luck. I don't know how obvious that was. I thought he pitched really well, and I thought he commanded things, and I don't think that's a mistake. That seemed to fade as the season went on. Also, as you kind of extrapolated a little bit more from the numbers and from the splits, when he got that extra day's rest, he was an effective pitcher. Now, can they continue to do that? I don't know. But as far as Ozzy Albies is concerned, I think you hit the nail right on the head. I mean, this is a guy that, if I'm not mistaken, didn't he open up 2018 as the youngest player in Major League Baseball, only to be surpassed I, by – I think he was. Yeah, Acuna and Soto and Soroka and, and Colby Allard and some of these other guys that came up. But, yeah, you're talking about a guy that came into the season last year and was one of the youngest players in Major League Baseball, and all he did was proceed to put up a monster first half. But – and Nick's right. I mean, he's got to make that adjustment left-handed. He certainly has the talent to do it. It's just going to be a matter of continuing to work, you know, trusting that process, whatever that you know, he and Kevin Seitz are able to work out and come through and, and figure out. And it's something that I think that, and Nick, correct me if I'm wrong, but you kind of have to hit your way out of this stuff. I mean, that's isn't that kind of the name of the game. You do, but what what I want to see is is some sort of adjustment physically. And I saw that two years ago when he struggled out of the gate left-handed. He started making some adjustments, trying different things left-handed to try to figure out what was going to work. He can be basically a contact hitter from the left side and, and hit with power from the right side. He's going to run in some balls left-handed, and that's fine. Uh, but he could still hit 15 to 20 home runs if he did that. What I think where the problem came last year is he came out of the gates and started hitting for power left-handed. Well, he was getting pitches down the middle of the plate, yeah. uh, hangers, fastballs early in the count, that kind of stuff. And then once they started to make that adjustment, all of a sudden he's down in the count. Well, he doesn't hit well down in the count left hand at all. Uh, and so that's where that adjustment has to be made for me. Um, if, if, he's a, if he can just think about up the middle the other way and then balls that he's supposed to hit out or drive, mm -hmm. then he drives, then I think that's where you're going to see him turn that corner. He can steal second base, so it's not like he hits singles and not steal. So he could be a, kind of an old school guy from the left side and kind of a new school guy from the right side, and I think you'd have a really good Ozzy Albies. If he figures out how to hit those mistakes like he was doing in the first half last year and makes his adjustment 
you know, the, the one that he really needs to make to the adjustment that the league made to him. I think he's a guy that can get right back on track to doing things, maybe not 20 home runs in the first half again, but a guy that can rack up extra base hits and can be a seriously valuable player for this Braves club. But the adjustment does have to come left-handed, I think, to unlock the full potential over the course of a full season for Ozzie Albies. But he's young enough and he's good enough that I, I think that's why people are high on him and should continue to be high on him. But obviously for a player, as you go through each and every single year, there's a new set of challenges, hurdles, or expectations, things that you have on yourself as well, the pressure that you put on yourself, finding ways to manage and mitigate some of that will no doubt be part of that equation when it comes to what Ozzie Albies needs to do to have a big 2019, and the Braves certainly need him to do so. We appreciate all of your questions. Again, you can pour those in uh, liberally if you like, or every once in a while if you prefer, at from the diamond underscore on Twitter is where you can send us all of your questions, and they might be featured on an episode of From the Diamond at some point in the not-too-distant future. But that'll wrap up our Atlanta Braves talk. And, Nick, I don't want to bury the lead for this entire show coming like 40 minutes into it, but <laughs> we talked about Mike Trout about two months ago probably. Uh, and Well, we've talked about him since then, but we were talking in specifics about what kind of money is this guy going to get in a couple of years when he hits free agency, and then Bryce Harper signed. And then we talked about it again and said, well, can Mike Trout get to the $400 million? You didn't feel like he could. You made a great case, and I thought, you know what? It might be tough for him to get to $400 million, but he'll get his three fifty. He'll get more than Harper. I think both of us could agree on that. Then all of a sudden, going from I don't want to talk about an extension during the season quotes that Mike Trout had earlier in the spring, it very quickly uh, over the last week came together that he and the Angels have come to agreement on a 12-year extension so reworking the final two years he was under contract adding 10 more years 426 million dollars for mike trout over the next 12 years that carries him to the year 2030 that's his age 38 season mike trout going to be an angel for life that's what Artie moreno the owner wanted for his superstar center fielder and that 12-year deal has a pretty good chance of getting him there it's the mega contract that we were talking about not too long ago 400 plus million dollars never even hit the free agent market what do you make of baseball's biggest star getting the biggest contract in all the sports he deserves it but i'll, I'll preface my 400 million he's not going to get by saying that i didn't expect this to happen now i expect it to happen two years from now and i think when you looked at two years from now you added 10 years on top of that which would put him in the same year uh ending kind of the contract as it is now. Right. Then you looked at the, the 350 mark for 10 years, uh, which would put him at 35 a year, which is at 35 and a half with this new deal. Mm-hmm. When I looked at Arenado's deal at 32 and a half, I think is what he is on average right. per year. You say Trout deserves quite a bit more than that. Well, 3 million more a year, uh, I think is more than deserving. This is by far the best player in the game. If I'm Artie Moreno, I can't let Mike Trout leave. He's got to be an angel forever. He's the guy that you want to take your kid out to the ballpark and say, this is what I want you to be. Even though he's an outstanding player, he's a really good dude too. People look up to him. So I love the deal. I think it's great for baseball. The one thing that that really is encouraging to me is by signing this, and there's some other guys that have signed extensions as well, teams can't basically tank get under the threshold of the luxury tax and wait for this superstar to hit the market. I like that. 
I want these guys to really care about their team, want to play for that team and build around certain guys. Mike Trout to me, when I look at the numbers, there's no comparison. And if you don't have the athletic, I'm going to read a couple of things that I think were pretty interesting. I don't know if you read the article or not, Grant. Which one? Uh, Eno Saris wrote an article about 12 great facts about Trout. Okay, think about this. Trout is 27 years old, correct? Yep. There are only 408 2020 seasons in the history of baseball. Mike Trout has five. So the guys ahead of him, Willie Mays, Hank Aaron, Alex Rodriguez, Carlos Beltran, Bobby Abreu, Barry Bonds, and Bobby Bonds. Okay, that's a pretty good list, right? It is. He has a higher career war than Bryce Harper and Manny Machado combined, Mm -hmm. which is insane. He's better than five entire lineups last year. He had 9.8 wins above replacement, which is insane. He's a top 100 player of all time already. He's legitimately already a Hall of Famer. When you look at baseball references war, uh, he's got more wins above replacement from baseball reference than 53% of Hall of Fame hitters right now. And you could keep going on and on. But this guy, if anybody deserves $426 million, it's Mike Trout. There's no question about that. I mean, the greatest player of this generation, and he's not even been playing for a full decade as of right now, a guy that when I looked at Artie Moreno and what he did when he signed Albert Pujols to that mega deal, that 10-year deal, $275 million. I mean, if that's what he's going to pay another team star to come play for his team, you knew he was going to pony up and find the cash to pay his own homegrown superstar who's basically the, the face of baseball or the best player in baseball, and you talked about comparisons that you can make with Mike Trout, he really doesn't have a peer. When you look at this generation, there's not a player like Mike Trout. You go back over time, you start talking about Willie Mays or Hank Aaron or Mickey Mantle in particular. Trout's always struck me as a guy that, you know, is this generation's Mickey Mantle, and he's being able to do it with two good legs, which is even better. Uh, But I look at Trout, and I look at the Angels, and I I never really felt like He wanted to leave there. It never really seemed apparent. And everybody talked about, well, he's from Jersey, a Philly area, big Philly sports fan. He's going to go sign in Philly. It's going to happen. He's got season tickets to the Eagles. I really felt like that was a bit of a stretch. Would the Phillies love to have had that opportunity? Well, according to Bryce Harper, yes, they would love to have talked to him about a contract. But that just never happened. And this is really interesting, this trend. And it's not just Trout. I mean, we're talking about these other guys. You mentioned Nolan Arenado signed a monster extension, thus foregoing free agency for himself. Red Sox have reportedly agreed to an extension with Chris Sale. That coming down on Friday, according to Ken Rosenthal of The Athletic. Five years, $145 million for him. Paul Goldschmidt got his big payday finally. Remember, he was on that ridiculously team-friendly deal with Arizona. He's getting five years, $130 million from St. Louis, so he's going to be a Cardinal for a while. The Astros have signed Alex Bregman, their young superstar infielder to a six-year, $100 million extension. And the Rays even got in on this action by signing Blake Snell, who won the Cy Young Award in the American League last year. Five years and $50 million extension for him. And a guy who still has yet to make his major league debut, that would be Eloy Jimenez, the outfielder for the White Sox. Six years, $43 million. A couple of more years worth $32 million total to tack on to that. A lot of extensions going on, and all this comes after another slow winter Nick, what do you make of all these signings, all these extensions? What does it mean for the players' perception of what the market may look like when the new collective bargaining agreement is needing to be ironed out in the not-too-distant future? Well, I like it. I like the fact that these guys are jumping on these deals. I like the fact that the clubs are offering the deals. 
when you look at what's going to happen after the next CBA, nobody knows. And, and I think that's kind of one of the reasons that these, these guys are willing to sign these deals. When you look at a long-term deal, you've got to be team-friendly a little bit and you have to be player-friendly a little bit. You've got to have that happy medium. It can't be the deal that Evan Longoria signed right out of the gate with the Rays was what, like $17 million for six years or something crazy. That deal to me doesn't make a whole lot of sense. That He just wanted security. These are really good deals. These are big-time deals. And it's not like you're signing Jimenez to a six-year deal for, for $25 million. Right. Eight years up to, what is that, $75 million? That's crazy. Yep. Blake Snell is a good sign for the Rays, and I like it because uh, I don't know if we touched on this or not, but they renewed his, they renewed his contract for, I think, five seventy five. Well, Blake Snell won the Cy Young last year. You don't think that's going to make him mad? But what they had the intention of trying to work out some sort of extension. And they finally came to their senses and said, you know what? This guy deserves a, a long-term extension. They signed it. Blake Snell's happy. Uh, if you caught him on Twitter, somebody responded that he's looking to buy more Jordans with the new contract. They quoted the contract. It was great. And Blake Snell's Basically responded, yes, I can't wait to buy more Jordans. There you go. Uh, Alex Bregman, one of the best young players in the game. I think that's a great deal. Finally, Goldschmidt gets his pay. And Chris Sale's one of the best in the game. So I like them all. And I think it. I think that you're going to see more of this. I, I, I do, from a player's perspective, I, I know they want to get all the money they can get. But this stuff, to me, is what baseball is all about. The team's rewarding these players for being good players. They aren't bad deals at all. They're actually really good deals. So I, I'm just enjoying the fact that teams are willing to sign these guys for this type of money, especially some guys with, with not a whole lot of experience. Blake Snell's only got two years in the big leagues. So, and I think Bregman's got two, a little over two. Is yep. that right? Yep. So that's a big deal. And I think that's good for the players. I, I do. I really think it is. Well, it's stability, and I think that's the big selling point. And that collective bargaining agreement, you don't know what's going to happen, what that's going to look like. I would imagine that a lot of things could be reworked when it comes to service time, when it comes to some of the manipulation that's gone on with that. I think that the players' union's fairly serious about that, and I think that's going to be one of the many things that's on the table. And we don't know when that's going to come down. I know they're already working towards that, MLB and the players' union, in terms of trying to hammer that out before it comes up in 2021. Going back and looking at that Longoria deal, just in case you were curious, first six years of that guaranteed contract for him, $17.5 million. There were two option years that would bump it up to a total of $44 million over eight years. But for Evan Longoria, for the first eight years of his career, that's a pretty tremendous value. So That's a bad deal. These deals are not like that. That happened 11 years ago, coming up in the middle of April. So he had hardly played at all at the big league level, and he was a guy that was rewarded with a contract, much in the way that Eloy Jimenez has been. But Jimenez is getting six years and $43 million. Again, those option years could bump it all the way up to, I believe, $75 million total over eight years. But like you said, that's a much better deal. It's just interesting to see what side people fall on when it comes to uh, the fan response, obviously, the economics of the game, You know whether or not you're pro the players getting as much money as they can, which I think both of us would fall into that camp because that is who you pay to see, but also the economics of baseball and how that might evolve with that upcoming CBA. That luxury tax is in place. I hear people asking about a salary cap a lot. I I just don't think that the Players Association is ever going to relent and allow that to happen. 
But there's just a lot of different pieces that are in play when it comes to baseball's economics. But seeing guys get paid over a long period of time, maybe they're not all going to get that A-Rod contract. Maybe they're not all going to get that Mike Trout contract. But, of course, it depends on the talent of that player. But these guys are not hitting the open market either. So, again, it's security versus wondering if they're going to end up in a winter where maybe ask a Dallas Keuchel or a Craig Kimbrell or a Mike Moustakis or some of these guys over the last couple of years that kind of got locked out, if you will, in some ways and did not find that big money deal over a long-term uh, contract that they were looking for. So I think you kind of have to, if you're a player in that position where you are offered that money, it could help. But I did have somebody tell me last winter that it does hurt when the younger guys that don't have a lot of service time take those criminally low ball deals where they do get that 18 or $20 million, but they give up six or seven years. That kind of goes back to the Longoria contract. And I'm guessing Nick, that's kind of what you were pointing at as not being a good deal for the player or for baseball. It wasn't for anybody. And I get it. He wanted security. He, he didn't know if he was going to be a superstar or not. So when you say here's $17 million guaranteed, it's hard to say no. Right. And I get it. I get that. But you're right. Whenever you look at those type of deals, it's not good for anybody except for the teams. And if more guys started to sign that, then you would see the contracts going down and down and down. And that's not what the players union wants to see. Baseball is making tons of money. They don't want to see those small deals. And when I went back and looked at Longoria, 17 and a half for the first six years, of that deal mm-hmm. to reach 44 million, it would have had to go nine years. Right. You're looking at him and as six and 43. That's a whole lot better deal and more in line with what I think is okay from the union's perspective. But I want to say one thing too, and I've seen a lot of people online talk about Kyler Murray saying, okay, you need to go back to baseball. Mike Trout just signed for $426 million. Bryce Harper just signed for three thirty. <laughs> right. Take a step back. These guaranteed deals like this are so hard to come by. Kyler Murray does not have the type of talent that a Bryce Harper, a Mike Trout, a Manny Machado has. $4 million is what for something was what he was guaranteed. Mm-hmm. It's probably overpaid for Kyler Murray. And when they say this stuff, it makes me laugh a little bit because it's like, oh, I want my kid to play baseball. Your kid's got to be really good to get a guaranteed deal. I played five years, parts of eight years, five years total in the big leagues. I didn't have one guaranteed deal in my life. And so it's not as easy to come by. And I know the money looks great and you get excited about it. But baseball is a hard sport, and these guys that get paid this type of money are on an elite, elite level. I'd have to go back and look. I mean, from spending some time in the minor leagues, you know, traveling as a broadcaster and doing those things, and obviously, Nick, you lived that life as well. How many guys end up playing pro ball for even the most finite, limited amount of time? Maybe they go to the Gulf Coast League and they never get out of there. The failure rate of guys who go and play pro ball, let alone the guys who – maybe get to the majors and play a handful of games and that's it or aren't able to stick or never get there but play a long time in professional baseball there are a lot more stories about guys who don't make it than there are about guys who make it but you just don't think about it because there are of course with 30 teams and you know 25 active roster spots all the time there's a lot of baseball players but there's even more in these systems and really you can turn your entire minor league system over inside of about three or four years and most clubs i think do i mean some guys will stick around for longer but you can really depending on the draft the international signing 
three, four, five years, you're looking at a totally different class of baseball players. And and that, I think, is just – it kind of gets lost. But if you've gone down and spent a lot of time in the minor leagues and you've watched how those rosters churn and you've watched it over time year after year, you start to get a little bit more of appreciation for just how good you have to be to succeed at that level, the next level, and then ultimately at the highest level of the sport. And I think that's something that people don't really recognize. One other story from my time in the minor leagues, which was spent – down in Tampa Bay. So I got to know some of these guys on their way up. One in particular was Matt Moore, who's a guy that a lot of people looked at at that time, 2010, 2011, 2012, as being perhaps the next big thing. Now, Matt signed a deal for five years and $14 million in December of 2011. I asked him in spring training, I said, you know, $14 million, that's a good chunk of money. He said, yeah, I mean, it's that was the security of if I get hurt, at least I know that I've taken care of myself financially. And as a pitcher, I guess maybe it's a little bit different than as a position player. Now, that deal could have gone eight years and almost $40 million, including some of the option years and some other things and incentives and whatnot. But it kind of comes back to what a guy is comfortable with when it comes to that financial stability of setting yourself up for life. Or if you're the betting kind and you want to bet on yourself and go through the arbitration process and go for free agency, it's just not a cut-and-dried picture, I guess. And it, it ultimately, I guess it also depends on just how good you are and if somebody wants to walk up to you and say, hey, how would you like a guaranteed contract for X amount of millions of dollars, too? But you had to have tremendous upside in order to even be in that position. And that's kind of the point that I, I'm making. When, yeah. when I look at my first year playing, I think after two years, we had four guys left on that team still playing. And none of us actually ever made it ton of money but if somebody would have said will you take a guaranteed one million dollars i would have been all in because i never made that kind of money and it just doesn't come up all the time and so whenever you look at these deals the matt moore deal 14 million dollars a lot of money he might have sold himself short a little bit but he was in that position to be offered that kind of money because he's really good he's really really good and he's had a great career he's got seven years in the big leagues done some great things so I don't know. I, I, it just frustrates me a little bit when people act like anybody can go out and get these guaranteed deals. Yeah. Uh, and because Mike Trout or Bryce Harper is making $300, $400 million, that, that anybody can do it. And that's just not the case. No, it's certainly not the case. And Matt Moore has stuck around in the big leagues. He's bounced around a lot the last three years. But just in case you're wondering, two years after signing that, so going into the third year of his contract, that five-year $14 million deal, at least as far as the guarantee was concerned, he had to have Tommy John surgery. So – Matt Moore from the Tampa Bay Rays made a million bucks, a million bucks, a million bucks, $3 million. And then he got traded over the San Francisco Giants where he's made more over the last couple of years and a stint with the Rangers as well. So all told, he's been able to tally up about $30 million according to baseball reference as far as his earnings are concerned. And I was just using him as a loose example because one of the reasons he signed that guaranteed deal and wasn't sitting there on arbitration making $575,000 was that he knew at some point he could get hurt. And if he did and he never cashed in, I don't think it's a unique tale. I think there's a lot of players that can say, if I hadn't gotten hurt, maybe I could have cashed in. Maybe my career would have been different. A lot of what-ifs you can throw out there. But either way, I don't want to get super philosophical about it, but I know it's something that you've got a lot of opinions about. I guess everybody does. But it's always, I think, interesting to kind of dive into the human element of what exactly these players are playing for and how exactly they're getting to not only live out their dream, but hopefully make a very good living while doing so. And I think that that is 
ostensibly that is part of the dream, if I'm not mistaken. It is part of the dream. I, I, I wish I could sit here and say I don't need to work to, to, to make a living anymore, but that's Me not too. the case either. Uh, but but these, guys, these guys are putting themselves in great positions, um, and they're being rewarded. Well, that'll wrap up everything we've got for you from the Diamond this week. It was very busy as far as those extensions are concerned. Mike Trout, of course, the headliner, again, 12 years, 426.5 million dollars i would settle for 0.5 million dollars i don't know about you but uh, either (laughs) way right now itunes google play spotify soundcloud and stitcher that's where you can subscribe to from the diamond ratings and reviews always appreciated and on twitter at from the diamond underscore i am at grant mccauley nick is at nick green 20 and from the diamond.com that's where you can find each and every episode nick we're winding towards opening day our countdown is into single digits braves and phillies are going to open up The Braves will be on the road up in Philadelphia on Thursday, the 28th of March. But before that, the Braves will be opening up on Sunday their brand-new spring training home with one exhibition there before a couple of exhibitions at SunTrust Park. So it won't be too long till we'll be back out at the ballpark. I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to it, too. And uh, I was there on Friday, and the ballpark looks great, SunTrust Park. So I'm excited. We'll be there before you know it, and I'm sure a lot of Braves fans will be heading through those turnstiles, happy to have this team back, and ready to see what they can do in 2019 as an encore for their National League East title that they grabbed in the 2018 season. So the title defense will begin, and it happens very, very soon. That'll do it, though, for this episode of From the Diamond. Nick, I look forward to doing this again in just a few days. Absolutely. All right, for Nick Green, I am Grant McCauley. This has been From the Diamond, and we will catch you next time. So long, everyone.